I'm Chris Riley, editor of Sweet Code and founder of Fixate. I just so happen to like food and software, so I'm going to connect with developers and engineers at their favorite places to eat and chat about what it's like to build modern applications. This is Developers Eating the World. Okay, so this is episode four of Developers Eating the World, and I'm here with G, and we are at Sherpa House in Golden, Colorado, which is pretty much Indian food, right? <laughs> but they have these awesome t potato things, so I'm, I'm really excited in a historic old house building, so this is really cool. Um, how did you pick this place? Um, I've been living in this, uh, close to this area for such a long time, and I've never made it, so I thought it would be too far a very interesting experience, a very interesting place. Mm -hmm. It's really cool, even though hoofing it over here was going to work out. So, tell me a little bit about your career development. Um, I started it, uh, as a software developer from a career change from the banking industry. Yes, I was working for uh, a local bank here, and I've worked from their teleline to customer service, online banking, telephone wires. And as I was wanting to actually have a career, mostly not a job, Nothing to make it interesting, interesting was just a job for me. And around that time, 2015, 2016, it was when the coding boot camps were all the rage. Um, they in a search one time, you keep getting uh, no additional suggestions for articles. And I did a couple of tutorials on um, Code Academy and the um, free, uh, free Code Camp, and I really enjoyed it. And what do you think made you enjoy it? Like what aspect of development? To put a little bit of work and seeing a result. And I was doing a lot of front end. And okay. it seemed it kind of like linked to how I was fascinated by computers, you know, 20 years ago. And, but at that time, there was nobody that I could connect with and looked like me at the time. Like there was no, I didn't know any female developers or people that I would enjoy being around, you know, besides the few people that I knew. But it was a very male um, dominant. Is. Still is, <laughs> but especially even then. And yeah. I went with seemed more natural at the time for college. And but I'm being from Brazil. Left Brazil now 12 years ago. I never really got to work in my field, which was international relations. And while I was at the bank, I was like, okay, what am I going to do? Because I can't mess this up, right? And when I did the boot camp, uh, the little tutorials, I decided I can totally do this and I will love building websites. I really felt a lot of satisfaction on, on seeing those concrete results. And it was a skill that if I were to move back to Brazil, I can actually take it with me. So that was very important for me that if I wanted to work anywhere in the world, I would have something to offer, no matter where. So I did what I, for someone that was so like workaholic, working six hours a week, I quit my job, in, I enrolled for Turing, got accepted. And, and what is Turing? And the, so Turing is um, a boot camp here in Denver, Colorado, that their mission is to create diversity um, and replicate what we see in real life to actually like to the industry, to the tech industry. 
From the moment that I walked in to Turin for my in-person interview, I was like, oh, there's a lot of females. The person interviewing me was Latino. So there's a, that sense of like belonging that, oh, they, they look like me, they are like me, that I didn't feel 20 years ago. So that's what happened, quit my job, and it's a full commitment for seven months. And seven months from nine like to four, okay. full time. Wow. Um, but they also, you're not just coding, they also have uh, um, times to personal development mm. and also like awareness that there's a gender gap. Not only a gender gap, but also um, a lack of that diversity for it. So on Fridays, they do Fridays fully dedicated to bringing out those uh, issues, bringing awareness and discussion about it. So that's one of the pieces why I chose touring other, over other boot camps. How many students were there per class? So Michael Ford. I guess group, right? Because it goes in groups. Yes. Um, so every every six weeks, pretty much six to seven weeks, there's a new cohort starting. Oh, okay. Uh, so it's four modules. Every module is six weeks with a break in between one one week or two weeks, depending if you can squeeze a holiday from there. The um, my cohort was exceptionally big. It was 30 people. Oh, okay. Which only. I think 13 or 14 graduated. Wow. And on the first two to three weeks, we had, I believe, six people quit, drop off the course. Why do you think that was? Um, a couple of things. They were not expecting the amount of dedication, even though it's pretty, they were pretty blunt that, yes, you are here from nine to four, but the reality is you're coding until 10. You're, if you're not, if you're struggling a little behind, you will be there till midnight. There have been students that slept in the school, you know, because they were working on a project and they want to deliver. So it will push you if you don't have that, that mindset that pro, uh, developers and programmers have, you will struggle. And the chances of you failing a module is pretty high. Is it a mindset or is it an aptitude? Or is it both? I would say both. Um, but also there's the, the mindset that of not giving up, I would say. Because you will be pushed. I cried for three weeks. Uh, the first three weeks I literally cried because I'm listening. Like, I understand what you're telling me, but it never resulted to cold. It stopped between my brain and my fingers. It didn't work. And I just came to realize, talking to other students that repeated that first module, um, that alone made me realize I'm like, I just need a little bit more time. I need to stop freaking out and I will end up learning, which was exactly what happened. And it became an enjoyment experience. And there is a decent number of people that will repeat that first module. Interesting. Yeah, because I think that, you know, part of the barrier that's kind of been put up for people has been that being a developer is a certain type of personality. if it would be the stellar personality. I know the the school itself at that time emphasized a lot of grit. grit. You know, you're gonna dedicate and you're gonna work hard and you're gonna achieve what you're looking for. And not only for me it was the passion, 
I may have cried the first three weeks, but I loved it, every piece of it. I loved that challenge. I loved what I was trying to accomplish with that. It's a very diverse group. So in, we had realtors, physicians, uh, from the bio, biology background, vets, people that work in the in, um, food servers. So th I don't think it was just like a specific personality. It was a very diverse group. I think it was just a desire to, to, to accomplish something as well. And that dedication. There have been, like there was a person that to this day, I don't know how he did it. He was a realtor, he had a newborn baby, he was working, doing the boot camp, and he made it all the way to the end. And he was still so giving of his time to others. And like, you don't have time to give, but he was always that teacher, mentor mentality. He learned more. Grit, grit, that's so the term I a lot. It's funny that, um, so I got a computer science today at Regis. And you know, co-camps came quite a bit later since I got my degree. But as as far as being a developer, my degree did me a lot of disservice. Like theoretically, I can talk about data structures and algorithms, and you know, I'm good at application architecture. But when it comes to actually building the application, not really. <laughs> I can prototype. So I think there's something to be said for like going taking a very vocational approach to becoming a developer there's like the biggest pasta syndrome right i don't have a computer science degree and it took me a while to understand those data structures i hated math i didn't care for physics in school or chemistry so um at times i think that I'm like well i don't grasp that concept and i feel that it's because i didn't do a computer science but in turn I am a, actually a pretty decent coder, you know, like I may not be, I can architect as well, depending on what you're bringing, what, what is needed, you know, I can probably provide a lot, but I do feel that that knowledge, you know, sometimes is missing and you have to stop and think and, you know, add that to it. So imposter syndrome, because I'm not a computer science. But the thing is, you me. can still learn it. Oh, yes. And that's probably the biggest thing that I've learned during that time mentoring was I can learn anything you that I put my mind. Yes. It's a big deal. And that was something big that I was so used to like, oh, I don't know how to draw. I'm like, no, I didn't put the effort and the time to learn to draw, to play an instrument. I so. can't cook either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna put that out there. We'll just draw a hard line on those. Well, but, but you, we could improve, and that's like you keep doing and you keep improving. Right. So that was something that will stick with me forever. So what was the first language you picked to learn, or did you have a choice? Um, well, at that time, I actually had a choice. Um, at that time, the first cohorts results were uh, they were getting their jobs and job placement were pretty good. But they got the feedback from employers that they, you know, were hoping that was a front end course, and at the time was only back end. And I did select um, the back end instead of the front end course. Okay. So I chose Ruby over JavaScript. Okay. Um, I'll, Ruby will be forever my love because. Oh really? I thought you were going to say completely opposite. Uh, no, I think I it's the like simplistic. <laughs> I love Ruby because it was. Especially as English not being my first language, you made it, once I stop overthinking, it makes it pretty standard. I'm gonna define a function, 
I'm going to run the code. It's very easy, especially for English not being my first language. Interesting. Yeah, I never thought about it. And when I went to start learning Java, I'm like, public static, I'm like, what are you talking? So I have to search out what the word actually literally means and then what it means in programming. And then to make sense. So um, I chose uh, the backend program and love it. But looking back, what made me want to join uh, the industry was that JavaScript, that designing of the page. So it was a little bit of that what front-end can present to you. Nowadays, you end up virtually being a full-stack developer, even if you're just a front-end developer, unless it's very specialized. So the, the combination of this, what I've learned and the emphasis on the back-end, with now what I've been teaching myself for front-end, I think it's going to make it for a stronger in, uh, app, a better app. Well, also, you know, when I hear the term full-stack, I don't think just front-end and back-end. I also think about terms like understanding Git and understanding release automation and the other aspects of a delivery chain that, you know, do the code camps teach that or is that something you kind of have to learn in the field? It is uh, emphasize Git, Git flow. Git flow stuff. <laughs> yes, they're at the, they're also for simplistic and time as well. I know they, we use Heroku. Okay. And so it teaches a little bit about the deployment and server and having issues. We you know when we're sending data from one app to the other, you know, trying to use two different apps and using, you know, the same data. I think they are very complete. There's like pretty much a full cycle. But of course, you learn, you're going from zero to software developer in seven months. Yeah. And so there's so much that they can expose you to. Right. Well, and also the thing with most delivery chains is it's very organization specific to some extent. I mean, a lot of people use the same tooling, but still, you know, trunk-based development versus you know, some alternative, and they, everybody has their own way. So what do you think, um, are you going to stick with JavaScript or are you going to go into something else? Um, I'm really hoping, it's also what I can offer, right? I'm really hoping that uh, I start um, a new path by um, leaving the backend, leaving especially Java behind, I don't love it. Um, but like, I enjoy JavaScript, so I'm hoping that I can get uh, in roles that I'll be able to strengthen that knowledge. Um, I'm hoping that, but if I were to fall in a Ruby role again, I would totally would be happy. Be okay. Love it, but I think it's that it's that was that introduction is what's opening the door for me. So I'm yeah. like, I'm a little bit emotionally attached to it. Well, in this field, I mean, the reality is things change so quickly. Like you know, Go and Closure were the biggest thing for a year and a half or so, and now people are moving to React. I don't even remember the last time I heard about Go and Closure. Yeah, I know. So it was the biggest thing. Like go to a conference, that's what they talked about. I hear people saying like, they don't want to learn something, like then why did you become a developer? Because it's constant learning and it's constantly being challenged. Yeah. And that's why I also fell in love with that field. I would never be bored. You can be bored if you want to, but technically you'll never be bored. There's always something new to learn. There's something that to, to improve and to add to your tool set. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I had to 
go from .NET to PHP, and now I don't want to leave PHP. Were I to write something right now and be in PHP, which I know is, makes me an old man. Uh, nope. This, um, this place that I'm hoping to hear, they have like a whole PHP um, app set up. So I've, I, leaving Terrain and getting my first dev job was a little interesting because I was like, um, I'm not on my Mac. I'm going to you know, have to use this Windows operating system that I forgot. Like, I don't even know how to use this anymore. So I think that's also the part of the beauty. Keep learning. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's so radically different with different organizations. Um, first episode of Developers Eating the World was with Mike at Nike, who my first impression of, oh, Nike's dev environment can't be all that great. It's amazing. And they're, you know, they keep current. So some organizations, like, take that initiative. I mean, it doesn't matter what industry. It could be banking. Like, there's a few, like Chase, for example. They've done some. Well, I think it's on one maybe small bubble of the organization. No, Capital One, sorry. Um, they've done some amazing stuff, too. So it's hard to know. It is, it is hard to know until you, like, you actually get to see. Because I was, as I was working in the banking industry and I started looking into becoming a developer, I'm observing and thinking like how, how we're doing things, but I don't have the full access for it. And as I started learning, like, why did they do things this way? So you start also criticizing and understanding Well, that's part of it too, I think. You know, part of the um, grit and, and all other aspects of it. Yeah, we're we're being slow with chatting. <laughs> um, is kind of looking, and this is why developers get a bad name too. <laughs> kind of looking out existing applications, going, "Why'd you do that?" <laughs> you know, or you know, you guys, you're behind. You need to catch up. Um, which is most commonly what happens, I think. So yeah. But there's also also the changes, right? Because you have to test them, and you have to see if they're working, if that's what the customer is asking. So I was at the time, um, I was starting to learn a little bit, and I remember getting the emails um, at the at the online banking department. Hey, when are we going to get the the, thing, the the touch ID? Now, when can I log in with my, you know, my fingerprint? Yeah, so the users are driving it. And I kept asking my supervisors, I'm like, so what do you hear about the tech team? And they're like, it's not priority. I'm like, but the customers are asking. And also, but I, at that time, also didn't understand the complexity in you know, of implementing uh, those features. But I just know the like, you're a developer, you can do it. And I'll like, bring it, the customer wants that. <laughs> bring it. Yeah. And so... You want features? Bring it. Bring it, yeah. You, you, you got all these people. I went there. This is a big team. You know, so it's been, it was interesting to see all that. He, yeah. Yeah. I, I can't imagine. I've never worked for, well, no. I worked for some larger dev teams, but it was in a day. That was in the waterfall days days of waterfall so everything was completely different you know you try to intuit all the possible functionality that you could ever want to release and then re release it all at once that's not that's not great it, it really isn't and it took it took it takes some time oh my first introduction you're already coming off providing like a 
you know, a small viable product and building on top of that and adding features. So when I saw the waterfall, I was like, why would you even do that? <laughs> that was a thing. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, what was your favorite project you've worked on? Um, hard to pick. I think for me, there was a project, I think it was my aha moment. So it taught Linklist. Uh, that was during the dev bootcamp. And so that's technically my, since I repeated the first module, I'm gonna confess that, like I said, I cried for the first three weeks. Um, so after about eight, seven weeks of a little bit of knowledge, you get a project, they're teaching data structure, still looking just at the terminal, nothing pretty to display, but it uses the command line to actually make noises. You know, like there was a, I don't know if they still like have audio noises. Or audio oh, noises. Okay. So you would literally tell a computer, say, and okay. you put something funny, yeah. and it will sound, and you can actually import different voices uh -huh. for, for that as well. And it was just so simple. But it was the first time I was able, not only I understood a complex data structure that at the time just blew my mind, and now looking back, it's actually kind of like simple looking back. But I was able to fully complete the project. I felt a sense of accomplishment. It was an empowering moment. I'm like, I'm, oh, I actually can do this. This is going to be awesome. The feedback loop. And that's also why we want to release functionality as quickly as possible. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. It's not fun when you do a whole bunch of work and then you never get to see the, the benefits of it. So in a similar vein, is there any tooling, frameworks, open source projects that you found like you fell in love with? Because developers usually kind of, besides Ruby. So there's, it saved me, like having to create uh, like informations for all the time. And actually I did a small contribution, the um, Faker Jam. Faker Jam? Yes, so when you're trying to do cool, when you're running your tests, because it was very test uh, driven, uh, the development that, that is preached <laughs> at the school, you need to fake that data. Oh, and is it like mocking? So oh, it allows okay. for That's that. That's cool. And Faker Jam. So that was uh, actually super fun because you, if you're needing to create a random phone numbers, you put faker, num or telephone or numbers, and telephone or something, oh, and cool. it just generates that for you. For me, that was like awesome to know that there's a little program, that, like right. a little gem that I can use. Um, I think also at this point, Capivara, because it also allowed to. It's interesting because it revolves around testing. Um, so yeah, that is interesting because did you find that it also feeds back into the feedback loop? Like on your dev machine, you want to know what you just wrote does something in the real world. Now that you mention it, I'm always, I think I'm very concerned for my code to work. <laughs> um, also, I think Dream, I have yet to try to create that feature. Um, how Trello is. Uh, so I remember falling in love with, and probably also why I want to like switch a little bit and be focused on JavaScript as well. When I was learning jQuery, and also that I think that immediate feedback. Oh right, yeah, yeah. I haven't had an opportunity to get into that, but yeah, I mean that's big, and especially you know the expectation is single-page applications that are extremely responsive, not just mobile and versus web, but responsive to the user. And that's, yeah. I definitely would be more like a back-end developer, I think. 
I think was the hardest thing when I actually was working was letting go of that I was so used to like being in the project from beginning to end. Oh, so how we're gonna design the database and what kind of what kind of a structure we're gonna have and what kind of uh, data type and then you get to the workplace. I'm like, oh no, that the, the database team takes care of that. We have the architects for it. You just, we need this implemented. Just do that. And having like very little input, it was a little hard. Right. Um, but it was just hard because you were not part of like why is that why is it done this way, or why are we doing this, or who is benefiting, or not being able to think and talk about with the client as often. Like, tell me what you need, so I make sure that this is working the best for you. Um, so that's working in a big company and working with a big, uh, with so many different teams, like eliminated a little bit of that. Yeah. But, but some, like, like Nike, I mean, I, I, from what I gather, what they do, you know, they have really small teams that are pretty much full stack. And so you do you do get that feedback loop. So some organizations are doing it. You just have to find the right one, which I think is challenging. And maybe what you do is you look at their app. You like, look at what they currently have. Um, because, you know, companies like Wells Fargo, um, United, United I, I, I think about a lot because their app used to, you know, everything they did used to be horrendous. And then it feels like they just flipped the switch on one day and now we're a true modern development organization. So I don't know the best way to kind of figure that out, but it seems like it's clear when organizations are behind these days. I would have to like probably maybe get a little bit more info how to check for that because Sometimes it was a shocker. I mean, like, well, is that how we're doing things? Is that how things still get done, or why, why yeah, still I being bet. done this way? So yeah, I'd lose my mind. <laughs> <laughs> but that's um, but for me, like, I take. I remember, like, even when it was a bad day, it's been a good day. I would be the first one to someone like says anything about code. I'm like, come, come sit down, come join me. Um, I think it's been very rewarding for me. That's great. I think the story of persisting, like the fact that Code Camps exists. Do you think you, if if Code Camps didn't exist, um, would it be the same outcome for you? Um, no, because I probably would have found an excuse. The fact that I had to, it was not even a part-time uh, boot camp. It was a full-time. I don't think I would have been as would have learned as much if it was just something I did after work. I'm tired, it's the evening, try to make this work. Oh, you kind of get it and you're going to pass it. What I enjoyed yeah, about... You're, you're not doing it passively. No. And then, just for funsies. No. It was literally, I'm going to dedicate my entire life for this amount of time for something, for to learn how to program. And I, what I enjoyed, as much as it pained it, it pains me so much to hear the stories and know that someone felt ready, but the student didn't feel ready, and they like, we don't think you're ready to pass to the next module. We're afraid you want to struggle, want to make sure that you're successful. That was important for me, that I feel that if I was on my own trying to learn, I may have not continued. And having that support as well, and the, uh, someone cheering for you that whole time was important. But as much as I enjoyed the boot camps, I will be the first one to say that if I have found, I found a couple of companies 
that they will still do that triage and then see if it, if it will be a good fit. But now that you're actually an employee and they are teaching you while in you while you're still working, yeah. they're gonna start small with a small features. So I did find um, there's a place here in Colorado that does that. So it's almost like a mentor system. You want to be a developer and you get to get hired. You're getting paid. You have an hourly wage. You have a job. You are contributing right away. And instead of like not working for a specific amount of time, and here's 20,000 minimum at least of that. You know, so I like that because by the time they, this company lets go of you, because their, their idea is like, okay, you are, I think you're ready. Go apply for jobs. Um, so you already had that ex professional experience as well. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, I haven't heard of that model. I think that, I mean, I mean, there's a lot out there, but you know, after talking to people, and I think the thing that you said that really resonates with me is something that people have to be embraced fully, which have nothing to do with code at all, is the commitment to learning, so learning how to learn, and realizing you can learn, and when it gets hard, keep going. Yes. <laughs> I think that there's a lot to be said for that. Yes, uh, tremendously. And there is one thing that I still struggle, also know when to step back and ask for help. Yeah. That is, because um, you were doing that learning process, if you're not understanding, you're trying so hard that sometimes you can't, like, just by stepping back, you actually just taking it to step away from the book, from the computer, go relax, come back in a better state of mind. You will, you will get it. You can't be stressed. Yeah, and that's kind of a different form of grit. Yes, and also understanding your, your limitations. I don't know how many times my partner at the time, I'm walking to the, to the bus terminal and I'm just talking to him in doing that walk, I'm just talking, I had the answer. You know, like during the process, I would stop at the, uh, the union station, like, hey honey, I'm actually gonna stop really quick, I'm gonna open the computer, and I'm gonna just like try to get this working. And it would work, and I, I got That's a solution. So it's important to just have someone to talk to. Yeah, kind of get some mental freedom with something else, yes. because your brain's still working. Well, gee, I have to let you get to your food because it's cold. Good thing it's a buffet. You're going to get more. But I really appreciate you spending time with me. Um, and we were able to connect because, like I said, it was really hard to find you know, female developers in you know, the Colorado area. So being able to connect and chat is awesome. And your story is great. Um, hopefully we get you know some students from Turing listen to the podcast, but also other people because I think that the focus on just doing it is a big deal. So, yeah. well, thank, well, thank you. you. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. It was a pleasure.